You know, it was originally uh, Corey Allen who was thinking, uh, who, di who, di who directed um, Farpoint. Kept on saying to me, no, I want him really hard. I want him, you know, really like that. And I kept on going, you know, Corey, um, if you do it that way, if I do it that way, the audience will turn off because they will end up, they will create a trajectory that they can anticipate. Whatever happens, this Q character will always be hard and, you know, and, and it, it makes me, it makes me two dimensional. And I think that there's so much more in this. It could be, there could be sort of amusing, it could be heartfelt, it could be vicious, it could be it, all sorts of things so that, so that the audience is never sure of what's going to happen next. And therefore the character will become more interesting. John Delancey talking about the origins and his take on Q, the quintessential character on Star Trek The Next Generation, and even Picard. Even the Star Trek character that uttered the word flotsam as well. Have you ever been to a Comic-Con or a convention and waited in line and take pictures with your favorite star or writer, only just to get a signature and no personalization? Not to mention the price of the airfare, the hotel, and the con themselves. John Delancey's son Owen has a company called FanfareSignatures.com that gets autographed pictures virtually. And this is Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and comics help us explore our humanity. There's more with John Delancey on Sci-Fi Talk, so stay tuned. Fanfare has virtual signings on exclusive art with your favorite star and even athletes. We chat about this, plus his audio work, the beginnings of Q in The Next Generation, and how he fared in Picard. John Delancey. I'm going to talk about Fanfare Signatures. It's actually a company your son uh, actually uh, developed, and uh, and it was actually one of the things that happened during COVID. It was like, you know, people weren't getting signatures and there were no conventions. So he came up with a really great idea. So, uh, yeah, that was pretty neat. So how did that, well, you obviously are related, but did he approach you about this too? Or how did that work? Well, he did. And in, in, in the usual, you know, fashion of a, you know, the old stick in the mud dad, <laughs> I said, <laughs> Oh, people aren't interested. No, that's that won't work and stuff like that. I mean, it came out of this, and that is, is that uh, during COVID, people, you know, I—he's I, I, the one who my son Owen helped me set up a a, a a website and all that type of stuff, and and he would be fielding most of the letters and things like that, and things that he he saw that I should see, he would send them on, and I would address them, but he was seeing a lot. Lot of things saying oh wow what are we going to do now that you know covid and covid lasted for quite a while we forget how quickly we forget that um you know uh, uh, getting food delivered from the grocery store or you know or, or or i'll rush in and i'll you know wash myself in clorox and stuff like that okay 
So, um, so uh, he, from that, he got this idea. And the idea was, is that, is that, gee, this is, these are people who um, would like these, these autographs and signatures. And I can provide that because he already had a company that was manufacturing in 30 different sites around the world, all of his maps and things like that. He said, I could provide that. I, at that point said, oh no, I don't think people would be interested. Well, he said, dad, can I just show you, let's see. And within about a couple of months, having done all the work and created new artwork and stuff like that, because he's a designer, he sent it out without me even knowing about it. And then he said, by the way, about three weeks ago, I sent out these things and you've gotten this amount of response. And I was like, oh, wow. So he said, could you bring, do you think that there will be others of your friends who would be interested? And, um, and I said, sure. So I talked to Armin and, um, and Bob Picardo and Kate Mulgrew. And, you know, I, I talked to all these people and they said, sure. One of the things that's really sort of nice about it um, is, is that it also, there, there are a lot of people, obviously they're the people who come to the conventions. But there are many people who are writing him saying, this is, this is wonderful. I'm not somebody who either can afford to come to a convention because when you think about it, oftentimes it's an airplane flight, a hotel, the convention itself, on and on, or they're in locations that are so far away uh, that he will get responses, Owen will get responses or letters saying, you know, this gives me an opportunity to participate without all of the um, brouhaha that goes into having to actually be there on site. Um, uh, what makes these also a little different, and that is, is that I will get on my iPad, I will get, uh, coming from Owen, um, Bob uh, would like you to say, you know, the trial never ends on this poster. And then Bob will also write, this is the, the fan, this is for, and this happened just a couple of days ago. This is for my 91 year old dad, who was a Trek fan all the way through and, you know, was a, whatever he was he was a principal of a school so the trial never ends will really mean a lot to him so you know you know so i will be able to write you know bob uh you know um, the trial never ends and thanks for for having been you know the principal of a school for so many years and, and helping helping the kids so and then it's sent out so so it's become um it's an idea that uh, really works, and now it's for um, it's for people to find out about it. No, it's it's great, and and the fact that you could sign it digitally, and the cool thing is the signatures are not going to smudge or anything like that, like they would if you signed a photo. So that's that's really cool. It, it is. Um, I mean, um, digital has a little bit of a of a negative context because there's one is sort of under the impression that one just stamps out i write my name once and it's just the same all the way so what we're saying is that they are virtual 
And in point of fact, I write to that person. Each person I write to is to that person. And somebody uh, at a convention actually brought me uh, one of the posters. They said, oh, we just wanted to show you this. And I was very interested in looking at the signature and looking at, at it. And I went, oh, isn't this isn't this interesting? My signature and what I have written is 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 bolder and and better better scribed um, uh, than what I'm doing here in front of you with you know with my sharpie that's you know that's not working quite as well and all, all that type of stuff. So so I was very impressed with all of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's it's uh, really cool. And the artwork is phenomenal. The Q poster is great because it has like all the different iterations that we've seen throughout the years that he's played, that uh, you played. And uh, it's, it's really a, it's really a neat idea. And uh, yeah, I mean, the people you've gotten on board, you mentioned Bob Picardo, uh, Nana Visitor signed something as well. And, uh, and yes, and also also. um uh, um uh, uh, gosh, no, the, the name just escaped me. Um, the science guy. Um, yeah, Bill Nye. Bill, Bill. Yeah, Bill Nye, yeah. Bill Nye is doing them. And, you know, and, 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 uh, um, he's also, I mean, now, now other companies are beginning to see, oh, this would be really helpful for, for us. Uh, this is a good way to do it. And also, you know, when you, when you order, you can order, I, I don't know what the what the sizes are, you know, an eight by ten or a twelve by whatever. But you can order different sizes. And one of the things in which uh, Owen uh, and his partner, his wife, they they went to architecture school. Their designers, the quality of things is important to them. And one of the things in which I. Uh, was particularly taken by was the quality of the paper. And um, I talked to Owen about it and he said, look, you can choose all sorts of different levels. And our feeling was this, if you get a small one, why would you get a, a lesser level of paper than if you got the best one, the biggest one? Yet? So we just decided on things that ha had to do with or he said, I, I decided that every all, all the paper would be the best. It would be the you know acid-free museum quality paper. Uh, the same thing with the glass, the acrylic that's put on. It's the the UV acrylic and the so um, how long it takes. Uh, and this is I just found out this this yesterday. He said, for us, it takes about five days from from the from the time in which we end up getting the order it takes about five days because it just depends on where in the world it's going to be sent um if it's going to be sent to you know southeast asia it's printed in singapore but it's 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 done very you know and in england or in for the eu well the eu they're not part of the eu anymore but in any case it's done in england for the for all of that in the united states there are a couple of different places and he said our biggest wait time has to do with the actors 
Um, you know, some of them get the order and they go, oh, I'll take care of this right away. And others are going, oh, my gosh, I'm, I've got to you know, learn lines and I have to shoot. And so that might take three or four or five or six days. But he says, once we get the order fulfilled, once they've signed the order, the signature has been done, it takes us about five days. And then that person has um, a, a framed glass covered, uh, mounted or matted um, um, poster with with our signatures on it. Yeah, I mean, it's and and I I just saw that coming up on the website. Uh, NFL players are going to be signing those. Exactly. Exactly. More and more people. And, you know, there was somebody who said, oh, you know, uh, I, I forget it. I think it was a sports guy who said to him, um, um, you know, we do charities, but the charities can be sort of mobbed uh, if we're doing them in person. This is a way for us to do them virtually for everybody to get what they want and not to have it uh, a mob scene. So um, we're really, really happy with, with that, with this new way of getting something out. And um, and again, uh, you know, when I'm at a convention, I usually don't have time to do, you know, what's your name? You know, <laughs> Bill, Bill, John Delancey. Oh, you know, that's it. Because I've got yeah. somebody behind here. You, I, you can take the time to say whatever the person, you know, happy birthday for, for my, you know, 40th birthday, or, you know, my, you know, to my best friend on his 40th. And you, you, you have time to do that. Uh, there's also a second picture uh, from that iconic moment in Encounter at Farpoint where Picard is on trial and, you know, the, the Q is on that throne and you, you know, you right. settle down. So that's a nice right. one, too. I love the one with the doctor. Cork's Bar has one that's really neat. Uh, yeah. It's just beautifully imagined. And I think fans will appreciate it. I mean, not everybody can get to conventions because they ain't getting any cheaper. That's for sure. No, they're not. And, um, and um, we, we are still a little leery of that many people there. Yeah. You know, uh, you know they're at the end of a convention, you know, we'll, we'll the regular group, you know, we'll do maybe six or seven a year. Uh, this allows us to do just, you know, if you're not at those six or seven, that's sort of it. Yeah. Also, uh, you know, after two or three days later, you know, sometimes we'll hear, oh, uh, you know, Brent got COVID or, you know, oh, or wow. so-and-so yeah. got COVID. Oh, my God. And, you know, yep. gee, we'd be back in, you know, wearing masks again. And, you know, so it's so. This, this, as I said, as I started all this, you know, the, the dad stick in the mud. Oh, no, like that. <laughs> I was completely wrong. Yeah, well, it, yeah, it's, it's really a nice alternative for people. In addition to going to conventions and things, uh, right. people will always go. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's, uh, I don't feel totally, it's better, but I don't feel totally safe going these days to cover it. Where, so. where are you located? I am in, uh, I'm outside of Charleston, South Carolina in Mount Pleasant. Just, oh, okay. nice. just really moved here. 
I I talked to Jonathan and he uh, he shot north and south here. This miniseries, uh-huh. and that's uh-huh. where he. I think he met Jeannie when he was shooting that. So oh oh okay, that's kind of interesting. Right. Jonathan is on. Uh, Jonathan, uh, yes, yes. Owen did a kind of a uh, what was it? Sort of a 007 version of Jonathan. Yeah, <laughs> I'll be talking to him next week. As a matter of fact, as well. oh, you should ask him about it then. I I will. I will. Yeah. If we can talk Star Trek for a moment, I wanted sure. to ask you: Did Gene Roddenberry ever? Convey to you, or what was his fascination with these omnipotent beings like Trelane in the original series? And then the epitome, I think, is Q. So, did he ever talk to you about that? No, he didn't. Um, as a matter of fact, he and I had a couple of lunches, and what we talked about almost exclusively was airplanes. <laughs> uh, I had written a script about a bunch of uh young boys uh in a in a private school kind of a rundown way private school for wayward kids who who um uh had put together a peaton pole aircraft and peaton it was called the peaton pole air camper and uh for five hundred dollars in 1925 five hundred dollars a lot of money yeah you could buy they would send you the kit you had to supply the model the model a engine uh uh, and you had now an airplane and so um we talked quite a bit about it i didn't know anything about um trelane i had not watched the television series Uh, i was a kid who did not who who had a lot of problems in school, academic problems. Yeah, I hear you there. Uh, and um, I had a reading issue and and all that type of stuff. And uh, so my parents simply turned off the television. I mean, they 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 cut the cord on the TV. Mm, wow. And um, so I never really watched any of that. And so it was only after maybe two or three years after doing trek that somebody said that i was asked about trelane and i said i have no idea what you're talking about and so they sent me a um a video and uh and i watched it and i went oh very interesting <laughs> very interesting the energy ha- there's sort of the sameness in the energy and what have you um you know the gene that they originally wanted uh, Gene originally wanted to go immediately to series and uh, he did not want a movie of the week, but they insisted on a movie of the week. So if you take a look at Farpoint, you can see a very um, clear seam where he put two stories together. I mean, it's not, it's not, I, I dare say it's not a particularly elegant scene. I mean, it's, it's, uh, the, the intertwining of the stories is not, if you were writing it from the start, you, I don't think you would have kind of put it together that way, just in terms of storytelling. So you can just see that there were two stories mashed together. And mine was the second story. 
um, which was done in a much more um, hurried way. And I think that what Gene probably did is uh, think back in his head about, you know, characters that had worked in the past and whether he he consciously chose to to do a spin-off of Trelane or not. I do know that um, um, there was a woman by the name of Janet Quatrain who uh, showed me in Scotland, who showed me a postcard or a letter, I can't remember, from Jean saying, I'm sitting down to write you know, the, the, the two hour version of, you know, for TNG, and I'm naming a character after you. And it was Q. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's really wild. I, I got to ask you the reaction of people at the, uh, at the end of season three of the recent Star Trek Picard, when Q really i guess he expressed some kind of love for picard you know uh what was what was the reaction you got from after that that episode aired well a lot of people said to me uh actually it was terry metallis who who texted me he said you have a lot of people crying tonight I, you know you don't go into into a scene to do that or at least i don't if you do that you are you can be pretty sure that people won't have that type of reaction. You know, um, I, I thought it was a, a really well written scene. Um, it was it was sort of we had started together, you know, 30 years ago, 30 some years ago, facing off. <laughs> <laughs> That trial. And here we were, two older guys, still as characters, seated in this wonderful set, this sort of dilapidated kind of sunroom where the vines had grown and stuff like that. You could see time had passed, having this final conversation. And, um, and it was um, it had a lot of emotional potential. Uh, if you you can't play it that way, yeah. but you have to recognize that it does. So you know when I say uh, you matter to me, I, I I thought that sort of pulled together really the arc all the way through. Um, I. Uh, you know, it was originally uh, Corey Allen who was thinking, uh, who, di who, di who directed um, Farpoint, kept on saying to me, no, I want him really hard. I want him, you know, really like that. And I kept on going, you know, Corey, um, if you do it that way, if I do it that way, the audience will turn off because they will end up they will create a trajectory that they can anticipate. Whatever happens, this Q character will always be hard and, you know, and, and it, it makes me it makes me two dimensional. 
And I think that there's so much more in this. It could be, there could be sort of amusing, it could be heartfelt, it could be vicious, it could be it, all sorts of things so that, so that the audience is never sure of what's going to happen next. And therefore, the character will become more interesting. So um, while he, he and I sort of butted heads about it, nothing big deal, but we, we had a difference of opinion. When they brought me back the second time, at that point, you don't have the directors in episodic, not MOW, which gives you more time, but the director in an episodic environment ha doesn't have as much control of the actors. They, they can say, you know, faster and funnier and what have you, but there's not much more that they can do. So at that point, I was truly able to start fragmenting. So, so, and I think that that helped to create the popularity of this character and the and so when we got to that end scene on Picard it it was all of those things it's I've had your back but it, this has been hard this has been hard but I've been pushing you but understand you know I've always I, I I've always liked you yeah, that was a great, great scene, you know, yeah. and, and, and the appeal for, for me and I, I would, cause I'm a fan as well is the unpredictability of Q. It's like, what is he going to do this time? Yeah. With the mariachi band. I mean, it was just the Robin Hood thing. It was fantastic. Yeah. It yeah. was like always a new thing. And, uh, and then even on Voyager, that was neat to, uh, you could have brought him home, but, uh, that's not, that's not the way it was supposed to be. I also got to ask you your reaction when it, the first time we see Q and he is the Q we remember, the younger Q, and it's obviously you, but with the de-aging technology, what was that like to see it? And then I love it. You go, let me catch up. I was like, perfect. Yeah. Um, well, that was originally not going to be there. Uh, you know, those those little uh, pops are very expensive. Yeah. So I had said to Terry, I had said, listen, I, I have a way to that if I can suggest. Um, if you. If you shoot just my shoulder onto Patrick. I forget actually exactly how the sequence works. But uh, there was a line that I said for which I uh, I added, uh, uh, I mean, with their permission, that I see him. You don't see me yet. I see him. He sees me. And I go, oh, dear, you're a lot older than I you know, thought or expected. Let me fix that. Oh, um, it would, it would give us that opportunity to then when you come on me, it, it would explain that in that moment of that turnaround, I have aged myself to be his age. Oh. They said, yes, let's do that. So then we shot it that way. And then they did add on top of it, the, the shot of me young. 
um, which uh, only improved the you know the transition. Um, so uh, so there was that, and then I guess when I saw that I, uh, that that shot, I went. Well, <laughs> time flies. <laughs> time flies. Well, yeah, yeah. So, well, I hope uh, legacy happens because um, I know it was rushed. It was a rush scene, and Terry called you in at the last minute to do it. But having Q appear with Jack Crusher, that has a lot of story potential as well. So, I hope that legacy happens eventually down the road. Yeah, I was not at the uh, screening of it, but I'm told that uh, at the live screening where, you know, there was a theater, uh, I, I think it was the Egyptian or, or one of the theaters on, in Hollywood that, you know, that had a lot of people in it. And and then when that came out, because they weren't expecting that at all, you know, and then there's the crawl and then all of a sudden the scene and uh, yeah. apparently the, the audience went, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so so that was fun. I wish I had. I wish I had been there for that. Yeah, yeah. It it has a lot of story potential, and uh, you know, it's yet another next generation. It looks like. So I, I appreciated that. that yes. Whole last yeah. season was amazing. Just really an amazing season. Truly, and uh, but you know, this is in the uh, this is in the hands of the gods now. So it is. It is. And and lastly. Uh, before we go, what was it like when you did the audio versions of books? You did one with Leonard Nimoy. Obviously, he's no longer with us. And what was, did you actually record together? Did you see each other during the process? Oh, yeah. I mean, yes. I mean, that came about. Um, I I was directing um, War of the Worlds. Yes. Um, and at the end of War of the Worlds, I had this idea already at the end of war of the worlds. I went to Leonard and I said, have you enjoyed this experience? This, it was about a 10 day experience. He said, Oh, I've had a great time. And I said, well, you know, I have an idea that I'd like to talk to you about. He said, why don't you come to my office? So I, uh, you know, a couple of days later, I went to his office and I said, I would like to do adaptations of classic science fiction. I'd like to do them in such a way that they are recognizable by the by the you know if if, if the author world still alive they'd go oh that's that's the show I wrote I, I had a big uh, issue about that and that was is that the first book that I read from cover to cover I was maybe about twelve so I was reading late was Jules Verne's Mysterious Island. Oh, yeah. And I loved that book. And I wanted to become like those guys, people who knew things and, and could create create out of nothing. And, and you know, I, I was very impressed by, by the whole thing. And out comes the movie. Uh, whenever it came out, coincidentally, a few months after I had read the book. And I was so, so delighted to, to, to go to that movie. And so I, as a kid, I'm going to the matinee and, you know, the movie starts and, and there's the, the balloon and the, and, you know, the escape and all that. And I go, Oh, this is great. This is great. And then the landing on the island. And then a few minutes later, I go, dinosaurs? <laughs> 
dinosaurs. And of course, all they were were actually lizards that they that they shot fighting. But I went, what is this? There's no dinosaurs. And then, you know, a few minutes after that, somebody spots a raft. And I dare say, I'll put it this way, two very blousy women show up, <laughs> get off the raft. I am... I am apoplectic. <laughs> I am apoplectic. So as you can imagine, it's like a one o'clock matinee mm -hmm. and I am standing up in a full house of, you know, of, of other 10 and 12 year old kids going, this is not the move. This is not the story. This is not the story. You know, I, I, and uh, I got collared and thrown out. Oh, yeah. Um, so I, it was really important to me that we we do these. So he said, listen, I think that's a great idea. And, you know, because Leonard was the 800 pound gorilla, all he had to do was call up Simon and Schuster and said, I have an idea. And they went, oh, great. So I began to write the scripts with a, a, a writer called Nat Sigaloff. And um, we, we, I forget which one we started with, but, it, you know, we did Time Machine and Journey oh, to the Center yeah. of Earth and Lost World and First Man in the Moon. And, uh, and, then, and, then, and then as the idea developed, you know, we went to New Line to create a show for New Line. And then we went to the Sci-Fi Channel and we did them for Sci-Fi Channel. And that was very interesting because talking, again, if it had just been me, uh, they would have thrown me out of the office, but it's Leonard and me. And so we're saying, we'd like to, to do a show for you, Sci-Fi Channel. And uh, they go, yes, well, what is it? Well, it would, first men in the moon. Oh, that sounds very interesting. How would you do it? Well, imagine that it's on a stage of a theater. And they're like, what? And they're microphones and actors are holding the scripts and there are Foley artists. Well, by this time, their eyes are rolling to the back of their heads. <laughs> and, um, and there are musicians on stage and stuff like that. Well, to their credit, they decided, okay, well, let's try it. We'll try one. So Leonard and I rented out the Olympia Theater here in Los Angeles, filled it up with 1,700 fans. And, um, and we, did, we did that. And you know the the suits were sitting there right you know the best seats in the house and the you know right in the orchestra section there and um with their arms folded and within moments the audience is just like oh this is great and you know i mean the, the audience is really responding and they're looking around and and they ended up going well we didn't get it but now we get it and um let's do a bunch more so that's we did a bunch more for them so that that was that was that was all great and so all of those things we we also went into the recording studio to do all of the uh, the actual simon and schuster tapes and then we we uh, um, did a lot of post on all of those so so we were we were working very closely yeah that's great that's great great story and i all those books were influences of mine when i was a kid got me into science fiction started with war of the worlds so uh, congratulations and keeping those things still out there so it's the, 
Yeah, you know, I talked to somebody yesterday. I'm writing a piece. I'm bringing in the the Curtis Institute of Music. They're a very, very famous music school. They've been around for 100 years. If the, They only have 150 uh, students who go there at any one time. It's completely free. You know, Leonard Bernstein went there. and. Wow. and Sam Barber and Nina Rota and, and ma- many of the major um, um, orchestral players in the United States. And I went there and all sides. So I'm writing a show for them and and uh, or two shows for them. And one of them has a lot of new music that's being written by oh, nice. a, by a composer who's a Star Trek fan. He wrote when I went on. Yeah. When I went on tour with them. <laughs> which is when I got the idea, when I went on tour with them, uh, with Stravinsky's um, the, so- the Soldier's Tale, in the second half of the program, he, I, I meet this, um, uh, the composer, Nick DiBardino, Nick DiBarnadino. Um, um, he said, you know, because you were in the second half of the program, I, I'm a big Star Trek fan, and I wrote... He didn't even say Star Trek at the time. He said, because you're in the second half of the program, I wrote a piece, a new piece for the first half of the program. I said, oh, great. That's wonderful. He said, it's called Darmok and Jalad. And I I have no idea what he was talking about. (laughs) And he he could see that look on my face. And he goes, oh, it's a Star Star Trek episode. I said, oh, I'm sorry. It sounds like like some sort of gelato flavor. (laughs) (laughs) Something <laughs> like a dessert, and I, I and so I listened to it that opening night, and I went, "Oh, this is great! This is wonderful!" And quite frankly, far more interesting than the episode itself, which I hurried off to to watch. And um, so he's written a bunch of them, and one of the things in which he said to me yesterday, which I thought was really good, he said, "You know, I started watching Star Trek: Next Generation when I was about eight years old." He said, "I wanted to be an astronaut at the time." Um, so all of this, and I was very nerdy, and I wanted, I loved, you know, the, the, the whatever, all the stuff on Star Trek, the, you know, whatever, the, the beam that does this and, you know, something. He said, but I was mostly struck by the optimism of, of the show, that the future would be better. And so um, here it is, this many years later. He has was inspired by this show and uh, is a world class composer now um, who is writing the who has been inspired and is writing um, music inspired by Star Trek. Oh, it's amazing. FanfareSignatures.com. Great place to start. You'll see some of the artwork and the signatures there. If you're a fan, I highly recommend it. The artwork is super and sometimes funny, but you'll get the joke if, especially if you're a Star Trek fan. Absolutely. Thank you, Thank Thank you. John Delancey. It's Thank been an absolute pleasure and some great reminiscences. And uh, I think you've still got a lot of work ahead of you, no doubt about it. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> On my show notes, look for the link for fanfaresignatures.com. And speaking of links, Sci-Fi Talk Plus is a great podcasting gift, not only for yourself, but also for friends and family. With over 800 episodes, commercial-free, uncut, and even special programs. 
The best part about it, it's free. Click on the link in the show notes for a free lifetime access. This is Tony Tolado.